0: I'm Emma G. Rose. I'm Shell Shearer. We're indie authors. And this is Indie Book Talk. Hello and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Shelly will not be joining us today because she is traveling the world right now. We'll be sure to ask her all about that when she gets back. But in the meantime, I'm holding down the fort and doing some interviews with awesome people, including Jean-Paul Garnier, who is the owner of... Space Cowboy Books, a bookstore in Joshua Tree, California. Do I have that right? That's right. Okay. Well, welcome to the show, Jean-Paul. We are excited. I'm excited. Shelley's excited vicariously, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to meet you, Emma.
0: Wonderful to meet you as well. I read your profile and was like, wow, we have to have this person on the show because you've just done a lot of things. So Jean-Paul has anthologies, he has a podcast, he has the bookstore, he's doing all kinds of things. But first of all, tell me about Space Cowboy Books, because that's just such a fun name for a bookstore.
1: Well, uh, people often think it's an odd name for a bookstore, but if you walked into the store, it would make sense right away. We are a science fiction specialty bookstore out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. So it it is actually a very apropos name. We don't just carry science fiction. We have a little bit of everything, but that's what we specialize in. It's what we publish and the focus on our podcast, and it's also what what I write.
0: That's fabulous. So when you say in the middle of the Mojave Desert, what I picture is literally just like this like almost shack like thing in the middle of the desert that you have to travel forever. And then you walk inside and it's bigger on the inside. You know, am I even close to right here?
1: <laughs> We're not exactly a TARDIS, although I'm working on that. Um, okay. it's, you're not that far off. Uh, Joshua Tree is a town of about 8000 people. So it's, it's a very small town, Though we are right next to the National Park, which is wonderful. Funny you said shack in the middle of the desert because, you know, we are in downtown Joshua Tree, which is all of three blocks long. But our first year of being open back in 2016, I got the location in at the end of 2015 and opened up in January of 2016, was in a shack. With a tin roof, the whole business, people would walk in and go, wow, you are out of your mind. About a year into that, uh, and we were just doing weekends, you know, I was still working as a construction worker, about a year into that on the same property, a bigger storefront opened up. And so we moved into that and that's where what's been home for the last six years. So yeah, it's 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 a rural environment. I mean, we are surrounded by beautiful desert and Joshua trees, but we are in the heart of downtown
0: so how did you make a transition from construction to book sales? Because there, I don't see like a straight line path there. How did you do that?
1: My life has been anything but a straight line path. I, I managed a bookstore when I was a teenager back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I guess so, teens into my 20s. And I've worked a million different jobs since then. Painting houses was just something I happened to do for a really long time. I've worked at music studios. I've worked as a bellhop. I mean, I've done just about everything, which I used to kind of criticize myself. Oh, I'm a dilettante that bounces around so much. And I had kind of beat myself up that I didn't have a singular focus in life. But when I became an editor, I realized that my skills... As a generalist, uh, having my hands in a a bunch of different things throughout my life was actually the exact skill set that comes in handy for an editor.
0: Absolutely. When you started to describe that, I was like, oh, no, you're not a dilettante. You're an author. But editor works, too. So tell me about the editor work that you're doing. Are you with a magazine? Are you publishing anthologies? Both?
1: Both. Um, I got my start as an editor doing freelance work for local novelists. That's how I got my feet wet. And then the store started the podcast simultaneous times back in 2018. So that's, that's one of my main editing gigs. It's a little different than running a magazine or books because it's for audio fiction. The editing process is pretty much the same, although the selection varies a little bit because audio fiction works different. Some things that would work on a page don't work in a recording and vice versa, but, Mm -hmm. um, I also edit anthologies. I've, I've edited three science fiction anthologies, two of local writers that are a sister product to the podcast. So it's called Simultaneous Times, Volume 1 and 2, um, paperback anthologies that are all science fiction writers from the area. And then we also did a companion volume, Simultaneous Times, Volume 2.5, which is a free PDF on our website, and that is International Science Fiction Authors. Currently I'm also the editor of Starline magazine which is the journal from the Science Fiction and Fantasy Poetry Association so that's all speculative poetry and temporarily I'm also the short story editor for Aphelion magazine which is one of the oldest running science fiction webzines that's a monthly publication so I've got I've got my hands full at the moment <laughs>
0: How do you find time to do all that? This I feel like this is a question we ask a lot. We ask our authors this all the time. How do you find the time to do this? But I am legitimately curious with so many projects, so many moving parts, how do you manage that?
1: It can be challenging at times. Right now the plate is a little more full than I'd like. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I also edit a fanzine simultaneous times newsletter where we interview writers and, and plug indie books and stuff like that. I find that... Just for my mental well-being, operating on deadlines is actually really useful for me because knowing what I need to do and when I need to do it. You know, I was just thinking the other day, you know, because I read for pleasure as well, of course, you know, I usually read a book every day or two. And then the slush pile equals another book every day or so. So I just kind of realized I think reading is my superpower. I taught myself to speed read about 15 years ago and that has been an invaluable asset for me as an editor to be able to read quickly. I don't really speed read so much anymore because I like to slow down and enjoy it, but if I need to, I can I can really burn through the word count. It's overwhelming, but the but the thing is I absolutely love reading. It's my joy and my pleasure in life. So as far as jobs go, it's a it's a pretty lovely one, you know. I mean, I'm I'm doing what I want to do reading and being an editor and reading so much, especially the slush piles has taught me invaluable lessons of, 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 being a writer and has improved my own work greatly. I find, you know, as, as writers, we all have our idiosyncrasies and the mistakes that we tend to make and spending all of my time trying to identify those and other writers has been really helpful in improving my own craft.
0: I think that's really interesting that you say that because you are the second editor that we've talked to within probably about a month span who has said that, that editing has been just their most valuable asset when it comes to improving their writing, which I think is a really great case for if you can't be a professional editor, maybe having a reading, a writer's circle, a writer's group, something where you're trading off work and really looking at people's work critically. But I want to ask you, why science fiction? Because I feel like everything you're doing is really steeped in this science fiction. So what's what's the story? What's the background that you said, oh yeah, science fiction is my life and I want to do this?
1: Um, so there's a couple reasons for that. It's, it's the literature of possibility and possibility entails hope to me. So I love speculating about what our future could look like, how it could be better, how it could be worse, how do we avoid those pitfalls. But more so than that, when I first got really deep into science fiction and I just fell in love with it, and it was, it's, it can be a real place of solace. And I mean that beyond escapism, you know, that, that can be part of it. But just, I mean, we live in an infinite cosmos, you know, it, which means infinite possibility, which means infinite hope and infinite amazingness. And science fiction is one of the few forms of literature that addresses that. When I fell in love with science fiction and started reading it full time, I realized that it was bringing me so much happiness because I just enjoyed it so much. And a few years into the process of just being a reader, I decided this is such a wonderful thing. I want to find a way to give back to this community. And I didn't know any science fiction writers. I didn't know anything about science fiction fandom. At the time, I was just an isolated reader. But I decided that I really wanted to find ways to give back to it. And so that's what my life is surrounded by with now. And and something that's fairly unique to science fiction that I just love is the idea of paying it forward, where if you have successes in your life, you reach towards the younger generations and the new people starting to get into it and help so that our culture can thrive and be healthy as it moves forward.
0: Okay. So in the spirit of paying it forward, You have an audience here to talk to that might be different from your regular audience. So if you could give some advice to up and coming science fiction writers, is there anything specific you'd like to tell them?
1: Get to know your community. Talk to other writers. Don't be afraid to reach out. Writers are usually pretty friendly people. And we're also all desperate for feedback. So, you know, if you love someone's book, <laughs> don't, don't be afraid to let them know. No, no one's going to scoff at that. You know, if you're if you're writing to point out there was a one typo on page 300, you know, no one wants to hear that. Uh, mistakes slip through. But talk to and, in, and engage with your community. You know, I, I know as readers and writers, we tend to be introverts, which is OK. I'm an introvert, too. Although the reading and writing community has taught me to be more comfortable talking with others, and that that's a good thing. When it comes to paying it forward, I think one thing is you can mentor other writers. There there's so many things you can do. I think you want to be ready for it, though. You know, before I had much publication experience and editing experience, I don't know that I would have been very useful in being a mentor or anything like that. So you want to work within your experience level. There, there's so many things you can do, whether it's just leaving a review for someone's books. I mean, one of the things the bookstore does is we provide an annual partial scholarship for Clarion where, where speculative fiction writers mm-hmm. can, can study. So there's a million ways to help the, the future generations. And you just you find what your strength is and where you can help. You don't necessarily need to you know, break your own back trying to get out there and help people. You use your strengths whatever those may be, you know, for instance, this isn't necessarily paying it forward, but nuclear weapons is a big issue for me. I'm a poet. I wrote a book about nuclear weapons. Culture is a way for us to expand our our consciousness and for us to have those kind of conversations with each other. So whatever your strength is, utilize that instead of focusing on your weaknesses. And and that can be anything, you know, it it can be interviewing writers, it can be starting your own magazine, it can be something small and simple too.
0: Yeah, I... I think that there is room in this community for everyone's talents that, you know, writing obviously being one of them, but we all have other things too. I've, I've met writers recently who've started designing book covers because they've learned so much about cover design and they had some graphic design skills anyway, or, you know, helping other writers write blurbs, which is really hard for so many people. You're laughing because like, that's like the hardest thing.
1: It's the worst. Yeah. I can write, I can write (laughs) 10 books, but I can't write the blurb for the back. (laughs) (laughs) bios is really hard, too, for some reason.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. I actually I have a course on how to write bios for that reason, because every author I, I talk to is like, how do I do this? And it either becomes like, here's a random list about me or here's a random list of my publications. And nobody wants to read either of those things. So it is it is interesting how many pieces of this there are in terms of really, you know, writing as a business, and even if you're writing for fun, you still need that business mindset. Which brings me to the question, you have a bookstore, which makes you a bookseller, and the burning question on every indie author's mind is, how do I get into bookstores? So how do you decide that a book needs to go into your store?
1: Okay, one thing with that is bookstores have limited amount of shelf space and and even a more limited amount of display space. So you need to keep that in mind that the real estate in the store is is important. I mean, that's, that's how the bookseller is making their money. I can tell you the number one mistake that indie authors make when contacting bookstores, at least when contacting me, is just small breaches in protocol and not really understanding how the retail wholesale relationship works. Once a week, at least I get an email from an indie author that sends me an Amazon link and says, please carry this book. Mm-hmm. For starters... Amazon is the enemy of the indie bookstore, but more importantly, if I, that's a retail, that's a retailer. I need to be able to get a wholesale price for your book if I'm going to carry it because it has a price on it. Generally, I can't alter the cover prices of books. And if I'm paying cover price, that means I would lose money if I sold it. So I need to be able to have a wholesale purchase for that. The easiest way for indie authors to do that is to carry your books or to publish your books through Ingram Spark instead of KDP or Lulu or one of the other uh, POD options. If it's through mm-hmm. Ingram Spark, you can set up the discount, you can set up the returnability. Most bookstores are going to be expecting a 40% discount. Less than that's a hard sell because, you know, I have to pay taxes and, and shipping and all these other things. So even at 40%, we're making very little off of the individual sale.
0: And. It's important to note, sorry to interrupt you, but I really want people to hear this because it's a problem that I see a lot. When you're setting your book up in Ingram, if you set it to 40%, that's not what the bookstore gets. Ingram takes their cut too. You yes. need to set it to 55% Absolutely.
1: or thereabouts
0: in order for the bookseller to get their 40% in order for them to carry it in your store. Okay. Absolutely. Disclaimer
1: <laughs> it's a little confusing. Ingram Spark will help you go through that, but they're not super quick about it. So yeah, you set it at 55%. The reason it's a little tricky is because they also sell to libraries and schools, and those discount arrangements work different than they do with booksellers. But 40% is is the standard and returnability can be very important for a lot of bookstores. I tend to only stock things that I really have faith in. So it doesn't matter if it takes a while to sell, I'm going to keep it on the shelf. I, you know, I don't rotate books the way a lot of booksellers would. So returnability is not as important for me, but it is important because, you know, the bookstore doesn't want to end up with a lot of dead stock with IngramSpark. You can set that up in a couple different ways where you can purchase the book that's been returned as the author, or they can be destroyed. Um, I always set it up where if I'm doing returnability that I'll buy the books because the thought of a book being destroyed is just sacrilege to me. Um, but yeah. that is that is how things are done in the industry. I think also when when approaching an indie bookseller or a book, any bookstore, if you want them to carry your books, you need to show a willingness to help in that process. Sometimes people will come in and say, oh, how come my book hasn't sold yet? Something I've taken on consignment, for instance. Say, well, have you let people know that it's available here? No, I've been sending them the Amazon link. Well, that's why it didn't sell. So, And ultimately, for me, as a as a publisher, editor, and bookseller, I want to develop a relationship with the author. That doesn't mean we have to be buddies and hang out all the time or something like that. But I'd like it to be an ongoing thing where let's see what we can do for this book. If it does well, what can we do for the next book? A lot of bookstores, myself included, will do online events, in-store events, different ways to help promote the book. All that stuff is a tremendous amount of work, and I do it out of love. It's, it's not always the most lucrative thing. So keep in mind when approaching the bookseller that, you know, they're there to – editors as well. They're there to help you. They're there to try and make the work shine as much as possible. So visiting is a great way to find out what the bookstore is like. Read a little bit about – and this goes for magazine submissions as well. Read a little bit about what that person or that place is up to. For instance, once a week, I get someone wanting me to carry Christian books or new age books. I'm a science fiction specialty store. That's not going to work. Um, so don't waste your own time by barking up the wrong tree. Do do a little bit of research. I, I won't say I'm offended, but I'm a little irked sometimes by some of the proposals I get because they didn't even read as far as Space Cowboy. I'm like, you probably could have put it together what kind of place this is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking
0: of what kind of place this is. Where do you draw the line of like science fiction versus fantasy versus we have a lot of magical realism kind of things? Like, how do you decide where that line is and is it a hard line for you?
1: That depends. You know, as far as the store is concerned, I take a very broad definition of speculative fiction and I don't only carry speculative fiction, I have other things too. So I try to make my selections based on my knowledge. What can I be helpful to the reader with? If, you know, for instance, I don't carry a lot of mystery, nothing against mystery. I just don't know much about it. So I wouldn't be able to be helpful to my customers. So I try to stick to things I know. Past that, it's venue specific. Simultaneous Times is a speculative fiction podcast. However, we don't do horror. Horror does fall under the the blanket of speculative fiction, but we try and keep it towards the science fiction area. With Starline Magazine, it's horror, fantasy, and science fiction. So any of those things will work for the magazine, and, and we want a broad variety of, of all of those things. As far as my specific taste with the with the books that I publish, I tend to stick to pretty straight science fiction. But that being said, that's, that's also a broad category. And I like to have a little bit of everything. I believe that most readers have very versatile taste. I think very few of us just like one thing. Mm -hmm. You know, readers tend to read pretty widely, and be open minded people. So um, I don't think rigid definitions of those things are that important, unless it's venue specific, where the venue is, hey, we do horror, we do fantasy. Of course, a lot of the authors that write in these genres tend to write in multiple genres, which is, I think, one of the main reasons they often get clumped together in the same category. And I think also, you know, because there was stigmas against a lot of genre fictions, I feel like they you know, this is probably before my time, but I feel like they kinda of came together to to be stronger together. Right. Instead right. of looked down on, you know, as I and mean, instill a lot a lot many academics oh science fiction, that's kid stuff and they're basing their notions off of uh watching a movie from the nineteen fifties which was terrible or something instead of the, <laughs> the great canon of literature that we do have.
0: I know even some of the classic science fiction stories have been turned into truly terrible movies by people who didn't plan ahead.
1: (laughs) You can't judge a book by its movie.
0: (laughs) No, please don't. Uh, So we're drawing to the end of our time and I will give you a a minute to tell us all about where we can find you. But is there anything because you're doing so many things, I'm afraid I missed something. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about?
1: I guess the only thing that we didn't talk about is the books that I write. Um Oh yeah. Is 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 uh well of course it's a huge thing for me. I don't know it's the bulk of what I do. I think most of my work is as, as an editor. But I write speculative poetry, you know, the, the things that make me gravitate towards all of these things. I write a lot of speculative poetry. I usually get together with a band and do spoken word albums of that sort of thing. I also That's write so cool novellas, short stories, and I also write nonfiction, um, sometimes science articles. I write a lot of um, tutorials about podcasting for dreamfoundry.org. So if you're interested in getting into podcasting and you maybe don't have a lot of the technical experience, I try to be as helpful to people trying to get started as possible because I believe for our culture to thrive and be healthy, we need as many and as many diverse voices as we can out there doing it. The technical stuff doesn't have to get in your way. You, you can learn it. And there's people here to help you with that, uh, myself included. So I do a lot of writing. You know, it's the flip side of reading. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, that's one of my greatest joys in life. You know, I don't get to write every day because I work so many jobs. But I usually write a couple books a year and then a few scattered things. And that's just one of the many ways I, I hope to give back to, to the community. And hopefully, it's enjoyable stuff.
0: So if someone wants to hear spoken word speculative poetry, because I kind of really do, where would they find that?
1: So a lot of the materials that we've put together, um, you can go to spacecowboybooks.bandcamp.com. And that has a bunch of my poetry musical audio books that you can download for free. Um, You can also find Simultaneous Times podcast there, although that's available on pretty much anywhere you could listen to podcasts. You'll also find their recordings of events that we've done at Space Cowboy. So some of the in-store events have been recorded. We're, we have an outdoor amphitheater, so it's not always ideal for recording, but all of our online events have been recorded. So there's, I don't know, 50 recordings of events. So all that can be found there. At spacecowboybooks.com, there's a, there's a page, free content. You can get a free audio book, or a, rather a free ebook there, a science fiction anthology. As well as our monthly fanzine, Simultaneous Times Newsletter, which is um, interviews with magazine editors, with authors, artists, all, all kinds of people. This latest issue is three different essays from science fiction authors in Brazil and about the state of Brazilian science fiction and this one is a bilingual edition also appearing in Portuguese so you can find all that good stuff there uh we try and we try and make a lot of our output free just so that it's accessible and you know no paywall for the majority of the things that we do we're also on social media of course uh, don't do the evil Facebook but you know uh, reluctantly on Instagram and we're on Twitter and for the book community we're on Litzy too which is like an Instagram but just just for books which is kind nice. of a fun way to interact with other readers.
0: Awesome. If Do you have your own social media as if someone wants to specifically follow you or are they better off following all the Space Cowboy stuff?
1: I'm on Twitter, uh, JPL Garnier. I'm not super active on there. Mostly you can find me through Space Cowboy since that is taking up the majority of my time and efforts. But I am on there personally as well for that. You won't find me on any other social media though. i not... It's not really my thing. I mean, I, I love connecting with people, but I don't have a lot of I work so much on a computer that I try and have my nose in a book when I'm not doing computer work.
0: I totally get that. Well, I this has just been a wide ranging and frankly, overwhelming interview full of all kinds of amazing things. I feel like I have to go back through my notes after this and be like, wait, what did we talk about? But I am so glad that you are here. Thank you so much for coming. And I kind of want to visit Joshua Tree now. So we'll we have to plan an on location thing. I don't know. We'll talk Please about come, it. It'll be great.
1: Come by and say hi anytime. We would love that. And and thank you so much for what you're doing for for independent authors. It's it's so important that there is community support in that regard because it, it's a it's a hard world to make it in. And I really appreciate the people that dedicate their time to to supporting our culture being wonderful and healthy.
0: Oh well, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure talking to you today. And everyone, go listen to speculative poetry, spoken word music albums
1: because that sounds amazing.